Romans chapter 6, we're going to continue our study here and what a spirit-filled life looks like. And uh, really, we're going to kind of do a little, some reviewing and so forth and, and, um, and move forward into the next institution that God created at creation. And uh, what we have here is a, a, a tremendous passage, verse number 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And we just sent all the kids out. They should be in here, right? <laughs> all right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Our dear Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the fellowship that we have together in your son. We thank you for your word and the time we can spend in it, and we pray that it would be instructive to our hearts and uh, we would then take that instruction and put it into the details of our lives. In your name we pray, amen. As we come now and we begin to kind of transition out of marriage and into family, we, we kind of come to a new section here. Uh, actually, this will be the third institution of creation. God inst when God created creation, he, he put into it four institutions that are designed to be the, 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 the stabilizing and the for the development of culture, of society. And we'll have some things to say there. Verse 1, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, you know, when we, we use that one a lot on the little guys when they're little, you know, and they're growing up. And, hey, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, you know. Verse 2, honor uh, thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Uh, when it says there, it may be well with thee, uh, the idea here, this issue of, uh, of uh, the first commandment with promise, when you go, this is actually a quote by Paul out of Exodus uh, 20 there, and, it is, and it's one of the only commandments in that section that has a promise attached to it. And the, the promise, when it says, well with thee, when we, we go over and we look at the nation of Israel, the idea is the, is the production of godly generations. And we're going to develop that as we go over the next couple weeks as we begin to think about children. And when Paul quotes it here, in Exodus 20, we'll go back there here in a little bit, God looks at Israel and says, Israel, when you go into the land, you've got to go in with your kids right, producing. And if you do, then everything will be good with you. But if you don't, it's not going to be good. That's the, that's the issue there, okay? But Paul quotes it because of the promise and because of the association now of the issue of family and families, because Paul has already begun to draw us back to Genesis 1 and back into these issues of how God created society and how he created it to function. And when you think about how he designed life to work in creation. Now, sin marred it, okay? We understand that. So let's just set that on the side table for a moment. Let's get to the dinner table. When we understand how he designed life to work and to operate in the earth, in man, in humanity, then real quickly we learn that our marriage is connected to that. 
And the fact that we just came out of verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, the wife see that she reverence her husband. And that verse ends with a period. Because the marriage is the husband and the wife, it's not the children. When the husband and the wife get together, children then are formed, usually, okay, most of the time. And in verse 6, 1, 2, 3 here, actually even verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now the family comes in. But before we can dive into the details of the children and the fathers and the family, it's critical to to see, to remember, to have in our thinking that our marriage is involved in this. And our marriage is more than just you functioning successfully with your spouse. All right? And literally what's happening here is Paul is going to, he's bringing us into this issue again of what does a spirit-filled life look like? Here's what it looks like in you, verse 18. Uh, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Uh, by the way, let me just say, that first part of that verse is what the men's fellowship's been about. And uh, probably toward at the end of the summer, uh, first of, or in the fall, I'll start teaching that issue here because it's tremendously important to understand what's going on. But he says, but be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It's to have the your life under the control of the Word of God, rightly divided. It's to take your life and have the Spirit grip it, run it, divide, say, look, I'm going to do this. Have you guys noticed there's no used cars on the lots anywhere? Everybody's barking about it. Oh, the price is this and that, you know. I don't know. I I look around, I see them everywhere. Why? Guy yesterday on the news, I was listening to him, he said, listen, if you've got a car sitting in your driveway doing nothing, Put a for sale sign on it, somebody will buy it. And, they'll, and you'll get top dollar. My niece told us we ought to list our house for $1.5 million. Maybe you'll get it. I said, it'll take half of that to buy something new. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, but you'll have the other half. You know? And I'm like, well, okay, thank you, niece. I love you. you know? But uh, wishful thinking, especially when Linda says, we've been there for too long now. <laughs> and you're not selling our my house. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Anyway, where was I? Verse 19 and 20 and 21 talks, begins with you, the individual. Then he moves into the issue of marriage and the wives and the husbands. And all of that information is, is, is really, and now we're going to get, come back with me to Genesis chapter 1. Just see it back here. This, now we're going to get into the family. And really, this becomes a mandate about our marriages, that they are bigger than you just being happy, you know, Happy house, happy spouse, happy wife type of, or no, happy spouse. Thank you. See, I knew somebody knew it, you know. Uh, Happy house, happy spouse. That's the one I've heard too, you know. But see, the thing is, is it's bigger than that. There's something, uh, if you'll pardon the bad English, much more bigger, more bigger, okay, more important, Look, if you will, at Genesis 1, verse 26. Just remind ourselves here as we kind of begin to introduce the issue of family. Genesis 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the 
earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Here you have God in creating man. Now, he's, he's do done this. Male and female, verse 27, they're already married. There they are, okay? By the way, when he says, in, in, in our image, you, you are his representative in the earth. If you think about this, again, pre-fall, Adam and Eve walk around, and God is said to be clothed in light. But in Ezekiel, he says that light is as of the bow, the rainbow, all of the colors, so literally, Adam and Eve had coats of many colors on, okay? So the original coat of many color wearers is God. And he has this coat on, and Adam and Eve had the coat on, and as they moved in creation, again, pre-fall, okay? Because when they fell, you know what went out? The light unplugged her, okay? But so when they would walk in creation, then creation can say, there's man, that's God's man. Because what does he have on? He's got the uniform on. How do you know which team to root for? If all of the teams got on the field to play and nobody was in a uniform, you wouldn't know who to root for. You root for the uniform, right? That's who you're rooting for, unless you know the people. I don't know anybody, you know. Got the same uniform on. Image, you're his representative. But then he says likeness. You bear, you bear a personal likeness to the Godhead. Think about Colossians 2.9. In him dwelleth the Godhead, how? Bodily. When you looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, you saw the body, meant the body, uh, that, the fulfillment of the Godhead right there bodily. You could touch him and hug him and hold him. There he was. You and I are the same way. Now watch verse 28, because God says, man's got a job to do. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful. Now, they're married here, okay? They're already, Genesis 2 is already done. Be, so be fruitful. What are they going to go do? Have some kids. And multiply. What's the kids going to do? They're going to get married, and they're going to have some kids. Multiplication, downline marketing, and multi-level marketing. Here it is. And replenish the earth. Replenish. Go out and refill the earth up. Fill the earth up with a group of people who understand who they are. And they understand what God's purpose is for them in the earth. Go fill that bad boy up now, Adam, Eve. And then he says, subdue it. It's under, it's in rebellion. There's an adversary and he says, go subdue it. Put it back under the rightful authority. Put it under the authority that I've given you, man. See, God gave man to rule over the earth. Boy, last, when was it? Wednesday night, Mark 1, verse 13, he talks about the Lord being with the wild beast. And you go back in Job, in Job 38 and 39, and God looks at Job and says, how you doing with those donkeys? How you doing with the grasshopper? How you doing with the eagle? How you doing with all that stuff? Are they obeying you? The answer is no. Why? Because creation has been marred. What was the original intent was man to come in and have 
that dictate. You go over into Isaiah where he describes the kingdom and the lion lays down with the kid and then the child comes in and runs them and, 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 and gives them orders. You see, man's, God gave man the, the job to rule over the earth and he's looking at man and he's going to say, go do your job. Now, in order for him to go do that, God set up society. He set up culture. He set up a structure. So first you've got to have Adam. You've got volition. Then you're going to have marriage, and that's going to flow into the family. That's the three. The fourth one is the issue of government, nationalism. In Genesis, it's what it's called. When, over there in Genesis 12, when he reaches out and pulls out a nation for him. Well, we talked about the government. And when you see him set up volition, come back over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So volition starts. And, and again, on your way, stop at Ephesians 5. Just, just stop there. Ephesians 5 verse 18. And be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Volition starts. Volition is that issue of a personal choice that you're going to make to take God's Word and apply it to the detail, on a daily basis to life. That's being filled with the Spirit. When you faithfully apply the Word of God to the details of life, no matter what the details are, follow that. When you do that, 1 Thessalonians 2, Great verse to remember. Great verse to have in the back of your mind. And, and by the way, when, we talk, when I talk about applying to the details of life, that's exactly, you know what, God doesn't care what color shirt you wear. I know some people say, well, before the foundation of the world, God said, on June 23rd, Rick will wear a black shirt, and he'll match Nick, because Nick will wear black, and Tim will wear black, and, every, and then everybody that wears black is in the will of God today. Yeah, oh, James has got black on. All right, we got black, black. Hey, yeah, and no, he didn't say that. You know, what he, you know what happened this morning? I got up and I said, you know, I want to wear my gray suit with the black shirt. So what did I do? I asked Linda, does it match? <laughs> does the tie work? Does, does this work? She goes, yes, it works. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know? So what did you do? You got up and you made a decision. God deals with you as adults. Boy, get off in the, the issue of sons and his creation. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now watch, which effectually worketh also, where? In you that believeth. How are we to operate? That's critical to remember the end of that verse. What's going to happen? The word of when we believe the word, what's it going to do? Effectually work. It's going to create something. Usually, you know what we do? Something comes up, we go look for a verse. We don't like what the verse says. So then what do we do? We do it in our own energy, don't we? We do it ourselves. We don't believe the verse. And if all we had to do, if all we did was believe the verse, then guess what would happen? It'd be all right. You'd have a little peace. But we don't do that. So when you, the volition is you coming along. Uh, come over and look at Philemon. 
A little verse stuck in Philemon. Philemon verse 6. When you come along and you take your life, volition, your will, and you say, you know what, I'm going to put my will under the control and the grip of the Spirit and of the Word of God, the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, and I'm going to do that. And when I do that, then everything else will fall where it's going to fall. But I'm going to do that. And then you look over and you go, whoa, where have you been all my life? They're good looking. And you get married. You make the choice to get married. Husbands and wives. You see, that's going to impact. That's how society is designed to function. Look at Philemon, verse 6. A little verse here that Paul, to Philemon, says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual. Isn't that interesting? Philemon, you're going to have an impact on the church that's there in Laodicea and Colossae, as well as the church, the body of Christ as a whole. When your faith becomes effectual, but now watch the next word. By, how does it become effectual? By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that fantastic? It doesn't say anything about you giving money in the offering box, you participating in the things going on in church. By the way, you know why you have all that? you got life. <laughs> this stuff generates life, and you become part of a life, a family. He says, listen, by the power of his life living and working in your life, and when you take the word of God by faith, trust it, it becomes effectual but then it begins to have an impact on others. Now go back to Genesis 2. That's what needs to get into our marriage. That's what needs to get into our family. In order to produce godly generations that are going to be needed, you know what we have to do? we got to take the Word of God, let it be the center source, let it be the power, acknowledging the good things that we have in Christ, let that be the driving force. And when we do that in our marriage, I, we, talk, we've, we spent seven, can you imagine seven weeks on marriage? And I didn't charge you a dime. Man, seven weeks we talked about husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church and gave himself for it and sanctified it, pure, cleaned it up, purified it, presented it. Do a, as your own body. We're bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh, that identity, that wallpaper. Man, we did that. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Boy, the mindset. Our marriage is not just about us. It's now going to be about the issue of godly generations being produced in the earth. Yes, your marriage is your hubby and you, or your wifey and you. But now it also has a, another impact zone, and that's the family. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, if you look at verse 15. Think about this. Think about how God designed this to work. Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Notice Adam's first job is to what? Keep the garden. Dress it up. Dress it. Make it look good. This morning when I put on the suit and I put the tie on, you know what I said? Man, you look good. 
What did I do? I, had, he, I, got, I adorned some clothing. You're welcome, by the way. Okay? We get dressed. And by the way, thank you for putting on clothes, too. Okay? So what it, you dress it. You make it look good. You make it look attractive. Paul over there talks about adorning the doctrine. You make it look good. You make it look attractive. Keep it. You protect it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Wow. He can look around that big old garden, and what can he do? He can go eat anything he wants. He, think he wants peaches today. He goes over to the peach tree, and he wants what uh, apples. He goes over to the apple variety. There it is. Goes over to the citrus trees. There they are. He comes over here to the, to the nut trees. There they are. He can eat them. But then now notice what the Lord does in verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Whoa, why did you do that? Could you imagine? Adam said, man, Lord, why did you do that? <laughs> why in the world did you just do Because Adam, there's something that Adam needs now. Adam needs to understand that he has choice to make. You see, he gave, God gave man a choice. He gave man the capacity to choose now. And by the way, this is a real choice. Not whether you drive Chevy or Ford or Dodge. This is a real choice. Because what's the consequence to the choice? Death. See that verse? You see, it's, it's a choice. But it's a choice that has a what? Has a consequence. We love our freedoms, don't we? We love being able to go and do. No restrictions. But you know what real freedom has attached to it? Accountability. Responsibility. Consequences. And I'll be honest with you. Come over to Deuteronomy 30. Hold on to Genesis 2. You don't have real freedom if you don't have accountability or consequences. If you think about the founding fathers of our country... They were under, they had great accountability. It was called being killed. They did. See, you don't have, you may say, oh, we're, you know, <laughs> I love the kids today demanding my rights. I'm like, dude, you haven't lived long enough to know what a right is. My rights, uh, you know. Real freedom. Real freedom, God, God loves freedom. He, he, he's a God of freedom, if you will. But freedom requires there to be a, a choice to be made. So think about a choice. A choice to do good, eat of everything in the garden, with, but don't eat of the tree of the what? Good, knowledge of good and evil. There's the bad choice. Those are competing views. Adam, you choose. Which one do you want? Look at Deuteronomy 30. Look at verse 19. Moses here is talking to the, that, young, that new generation in, in Israel. And he kind of gives them a warning here. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may 
live. Boy, what, look at what God did with Israel. This is a new generation. They're about to go into the land. And you know what Moses says? Hey, you know what? I put in front of you death and, or life. I think you ought to choose life. Hint, hint, hint. Now, Israel doesn't do that. Come back to Genesis 2. Because if they chose death, what would, there was a consequence, isn't there? Called what? Death. If they chose life, what's the consequence? Life. Now, come back to Genesis 2. So God put in a choice in front of man. He put a te- people as a test. No, God made Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve here understand what I have a choice in the matter. I'm not a robot. I have choice. Now, watch verse 18. And the Lord God said, "It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him." And out of the ground the the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. God is demonstrating to Adam that in order, Adam, in order for you to make the choice, verse 17, you're going to need a helper. You can't do it on your own. So Adam looks around. He looked at all the animal creation out there, and you know what he found? He didn't, he, and my helper is not found in the animal creation. Sorry, guys, but that dog is not your helper. That cat is not your helper. I know, I like Fido. I got two of them. I used to have five of them. We just outliving them right now, okay? They are, they're, they are wonderful. I love them. Don't get me wrong. If anybody messed with them, you know, <laughs> I would be, you know, me, I guess. You don't find your helper out there. You find it in who? The help meet. You follow that? Adam, you need a helper. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took out He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God uh, had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So God created a creature, Eve, woman, so that... Adam needed her, and she needed Adam. Now they're going to go do what? Now they're going to go do life. What's a byproduct of that marriage? Children. If you look over chapter 4, this is after the fall, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Look, what happened? The natural order of things, the establishment of society is beginning, and we have the third institution, the creation of children, of a family. And this is where the connection becomes between the first three institutions. When we function in our marriage and who we are in Christ... Its design is to make an impact. Think about this. In your volition, 
What did you decide to do? Have the Word of God grip my life, and I'm going to operate and function under the Word of God to me, rightly divided. It says I can marry anyone I want, whoever's in the Lord, but I've got criteria and blah, blah, blah. I've got the things that I want to do. And so you find her, and she says, I do. You say, I do. And the next thing you know, here comes little Johnny or little Susie or whatever, and here they go, now you got whatever. <laughs> like there would be anything else, right? I don't know. Today, who knows, right? Yeah, binary, there you go. No, now you're going to have a boy or now you're going to have a girl, right? Boom, there you go. That's... You know, scientists are crazy, aren't they? It's great. But uh, what happens? You have a family begin to start. And you begin to have family come in. When you do what? When you walk by faith in who you are in Christ. And what is demonstrating here now in Genesis is that there's real accountability on a very personal level, and it starts in our marriage. And that's why marriage, come over to Deuteronomy. Hold on to Genesis 4. If I don't go back there, yell at me, because there's something I want to catch in there. Deuteronomy 31. That's why marriage is so critical to operate and function on the basis of grace. And the fact, like we talked last time, what do we all need? The ladies, the wives need to be loved, and the husbands need to be reverenced. And when you, when you love the new man, who they are, you're not loving the old man, that's a dirty, rotten rascal, but you love the new man. Then when the failures come, think about God's grace. Folks, you are an enemy of his. You are a sinner. You are ungodly. You are, with, you are nope, you are... He wouldn't even scratch you off the bottom of his shoe as where you were. I love that over there Paul says, the off-scouring of the world. And what did he do? He went and died for you. And then he says, all you have to do is trust me. You don't have to do anything. Just trust me. And when we walk by faith and we bring grace into our lives and we let it be lived there, that's how we are. What are you teaching your kids? What are you teaching your family, guys? We'll get down in the next time in chapter 6 and it's father's job to, to educate. Are you teaching them the human viewpoint out there of the world? Are you wrapped up so tight in the politics of the day and the activities of the day that that's what's consuming the conversation in your family? Or are you teaching them about grace and the truth of God? Are you putting that on display? You see, that now we're getting in on that personal level, aren't we? Last time I was talking to a guy about some of this, he says, now you're meddling, Rick. I said, I didn't meddle. God meddled. <laughs> Paul's meddling. We're just talking about it here. How do your children learn? If, you ever, if you've had kids and you've raised children, how do they learn? Do they learn by, well, nowadays it's an iPad, it's a cell phone, YouTube. Is that how they learn? That's, how do they learn? They learn by watching you. If all they're done is stuck in front of technology, they're not learning about the grace and the love of God, are they? They're learning Barney. 
they're learning. I mean, if you see some of this goof stuff that's out there today, it's like, oh my goodness. It would be better just to watch them, have them watch dirt for a while. You see, where are they going to learn about God's grace? Where are they going to learn about God's love? It's going to be in your marriage. You got Deuteronomy 31, all that to get to Deuteronomy 31. <laughs> Look at Deuteronomy 31. Look at verse 12. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates. Moses talking here to Israel. That they may hear and they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. What are they to do? They're to gather up, aren't they? Here you got the whole of Israel. They're to get together. And what are they going to do? They're going to hear. They're going to learn. Now watch verse 13. So they're going to hear, they're going to learn, they're going to do. And that their children, which have known nothing, known, I'm sorry, which have not known anything. Isn't that the case about kids? They absolutely know nothing. Boy, when you understand about that about your children, then it's a situation where they know nothing. And that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land, whether you go over Jordan to possess it. What are they going to do? They gather up everybody, they hear, they learn, and then they pass it to their children. They're going to learn it from dad. We'll get down in, verse, in chapter 6. Hold on to here. Run over to, well, just go to Ephesians 6, verse number 4. Ephesians 6 and verse number 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We'll have more to say about this, but let's think about this. Dad, it's your job to teach. The first priority in your life and in your family life is not to be the CEO. It's not to have the biggest and the baddest Toys on the block. The guy down two streets down just bought a big old new Ford F-350. It's like, oh, big thing. He showed up yesterday with a big old trailer behind it. Brand new, by the way. I'm sitting there going, oh, man, that's a year's wage right there. Times two or three. Like, holy cow. But you know what he's competing with? The guy on the other side of the street, his backdoor neighbor, on the other side of the wall, who guess what he just got? He got a beautiful big Chevy. Ooh, really nice. And a big trailer, too. And you know what? That isn't your first priority, Dad. Your first priority, the responsibility that you have. And by the way, it's dads, but it's also parents. Because sometimes life brings in single parenting. And I'll be honest with you, I, my heart goes out to a single parent because they have to pick up the slack where the other parent would drop the ball. Isn't there. So they literally have to do both. And that is a tough thing to hoe. 
but the responsibility of the parents is to instruct their children in the ways of the Lord. That's why Paul says, bring them up in the nurture. By the way, first of all, it says, provoke not your children to wrath. What works wrath? Look, look back over with me at Romans 4. Hold on to 6. Look at Romans 4. What works wrath? Everybody loves this, ah, oh, provoke them not to wrath. And Okay, we let them walk all over you. No, you don't do that. What provokes wrath? Romans 4, verse 15, because the law worketh, what? Wrath. That's not about not having rules of the house, house rules. When it talks about, go back to 6.4, when it talks about the law worketh wrath, what does the law say in its fundamental thing? If you want my, go back to Ephesians 6, if you want my approval, my acceptance, my love, then you're going to do this. So what does your child do? Tries to do that because what does he want or she want? The acceptance, the love, right? But then what happens? They fail because they can't keep it. Then they know that the only, then hopefully not, but usually they know that the only way for them to get your affection, your acceptance, your love, your approval is to keep doing what? Now, again, this is not about taking the little guys and having rules, okay? It's talking about, hey, when you have those rules and they break them, what do you do with them? You're going to teach them discipline, but what, how do you do that? You do it from the, from the grace and the love of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You sit there and say, hey, here's the deal. Here's what's going on. Does that make any sense? Then he says, bring them up in the nurture. Bring them. Don't send them. The most, I love that. Don't, bring them. Dads, the most powerful thing in your child's life is for you to take their hand and walk with them through the situations of life. You don't, not condoning the activity, but just being there for them. Don't you hate when your kids make mistakes? I do. You know, you go, oh, man, I wouldn't have done that. So what do you do? You just go over there and you be with them as they work through the mistake. That's a tremendous impact on their life. Nurture and admonition, you're going to do what? You're going to instruct them in the ways and the will of God so that they can see the life of Christ in you first. Starts in your marriage. Now you put it over here in the family, and you know what you begin to do? You begin to instruct them. Now go back to Genesis 4. I told, it's not on your list, but I remembered. Because this, folks, is why marriage matters. It's why we spent seven weeks looking at marriage. Because when the child looks, he looks up and he says, Dad, and he says, Mom, and the first place he's going to go look for things is in you and in your marriage. And if you're over here doing, not, if you're over there not being who you are in Christ, then guess what they're learning how to do? Not be in Christ. Okay? Look at Genesis 4. Just notice something. 
Adam, verse 1, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now watch. And in the process of time, it came to pass. A time showed up. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, of the fat thereof. What time came? Notice the process of time it came to pass. What time came? There came time for a sacrifice to be made. Later, under the law, it's going to be called Passover. Okay, But here, there's time for an animal sacrifice to come. All right? What did Cain bring? He's a farmer. He brought of the fruit of his labor. But what did Abel bring? The first thing of the flock there, the sheep. How did Abel know to bring the first thing of the flock? Who taught him that? Adam and Eve did. Because they have just been taught, back in, in chapter 3 here, Verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. What, what, what did Adam become? He became a farmer. He's out working the ground. So he drove out the man, and he placed at, at the east of e, the Garden of Eden cherubs and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And Adam, what did Adam teach his boys? There's a time on the calendar, guys, that when it comes, we're going to do what? We've got to bring a sacrifice, and it's going to be associated with the lamb because of the skin issue. Back up in verse 21, we don't have time to get into that. But my point is, is what did Adam and Eve do? They taught them. Cain brings of the other. And how, you know how you know that in chapter 4? It's verse number 4, the rest of that verse. And the Lord God had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect, not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Notice that. Abel did right. Cain did, you know what dad's telling him? It's time to bring an animal sacrifice. It's got to be a lamb, guys. This is what the Lord wants. And Cain sits over and says, no, I'm going to do it my way. And uh, Abel says, no, we'll do it your way. We'll do it the way the word of the Lord says to do it. We'll do that. And you know what Cain got? He got death. You know what he chose? Choose life or death? He chose death. I told you guys this morning I'd switch sides. He chose death. <laughs> Abel chose life. Where'd they get it from? They got it from Adam and Eve communicating the information. Now come to Proverbs chapter 17. I hope I, this morning I just get that your marriage and what goes on in that impacts your family. And your marriage matters. And marriage is something that they need to see. It's where they're going to see how grace is going to work out in life. There's no Guys, dads, husbands, there is no one that knows your dirt more than your wife and your kids. 
Because one time when you ever say, yeah, you can't do that, they'll say, yeah, but you did it. King David had that thrown in his face. Several times, actually. Yeah, but Dad, you did it. You know why? Because they live with you, and they know. And when, by the way, when you mess up, do you mess up? All the time. Kids aren't perfect. I, I, t- I chuckle when people, you know, we have babies being born or to be born. Oh, my kid will never do that. Yeah, right. Oh, just wait. <laughs> you know. Your marriage matters. If you get that this morning, you're good to go as we begin to talk about the family. But I want you to look at Proverbs 17 and verse number 6. Because we have a lot of grandparents with us. And grandparents, boy, this is a great verse for grandparents. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Children's children, grandchildren, they are what? The crown of old men. You know the old saying, grandkids are your reward for not killing your kids? You don't know that saying? Oh, come on. I, I heard it. As soon as my kids were born, I heard it. You know, I'm not a grandfather yet, <laughs> okay? But some of you are. You understand the completely different relationship that you have with that grandchild. Do you know what that grandchild needs to see in you? the love and grace of God as you deal with his grandmother and as you deal with his mom or dad. It impacts them. Important as well. They need to see in you the grace and the love of the Father. It starts, dad's with you at home. It's your job to equip your kids to be the parent's the husbands and wives, that they're designed to be so that your grandchildren can then do what? Go repeat it. And literally, one more verse if you don't mind, 2 Timothy 2. You literally have this process of mom and dad train the children, the children then get married and have have children and then they have children, and then you're down five, six, eight, what? Generations. But the generation, God has designed society, Genesis 1, where we've been reading, for godly generations. And that's why in Ephesians 6, when Paul says this is the first commandment with promise, he says, Israel, if you go to the door, when you go into that land, if your generations are godly, it will be well with you. But if it isn't, it's going to be trouble. And guess what happened to Israel? It became trouble. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 2. Great verse here. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's the issue right there. My dad taught me. I teach you. Talking about ministry. I teach you. And then you go out and teach. The success of my ministry is not until you have gone out and teach others. 
the success of my dad's ministry, because that's where I learned, isn't me teaching, it's when you go and teach. Downline marketing, you know the too deep, boom, 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 and that's the issue. But it starts in the marriage. It starts with you choosing to be who you are in Christ. So when we kind of launch into this thing about family, somebody asked me one time, you don't talk a lot about family. I go, I'm still raising mine. You know, I finally released them and I'm still raising them. How'd that happen? You know, I thought when they were gone, they were, no, I don't have, right? You know why? Because there will always be my children, won't they? But yet when you release them and you move them, you learn them, you grow them, you be there for them. When they see the grace and truth and the love of God in you, in the marriage, then they then have that example. When we get together and do premarital counseling, I always tell the young folks, you know what marriage looks like because of your mom and dad. You know what marriage looks like because of your mom and dad. We're bringing those ideas together now in a new unit. So now as a new unit, you're going to have what? Children, and what are they going to see? What marriage looks like. But then they're going to go and look at grandparents as well. So you grandparents don't think you're left out. Single parents don't think you're left out. You're all important. You just have different functions now. Okay? Ephesians 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother. We'll talk about that honor. That's a great verse for you older children which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the instructions here. And we just do all for your honor and your glory and your praise. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.